now I will tell you the answer to my question. It is this. The party seeks power entirely for its own sake. We are not interested in the good of others. We are interested solely in power. Pure power. What pure power means you will understand presently. We are different from the oligarchies of the past in that we know what we are doing. All the others, even those who resembled ourselves, were cowards and hypocrites. The German Nazis and the Russian Communists came very close to us in their methods. But they never had the courage to recognize their own motives. They pretended, perhaps they even believed, that they had seized power unwillingly and for a limited time. And that just around the corner there lay a paradise where human beings would be free and equal. We are not like that. We know that no one ever seizes power with the intention of relinquishing it. Power is not a means. It is an end. One does not establish a dictatorship in order to safeguard a revolution. One makes the revolution in order to establish the dictatorship. Arlington police say protests Monday remain generally peaceful, but say there were, quote, several agitators. Send me another unit, please. Send me another unit. This is a movement, I'm telling you. They're not going to stop. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. All right, welcome back to Into the Fray. That intro was a scene from George Orwell's 1984. I believe it was Tim Poole who said, Executive mandate is freedom. Knowledge is stupidity. Science is unquestionable. It's a brave new Fahrenheit 1984 for Vendetta. Immigrants from the Soviet bloc and pre-Mao China have been trying to warn us for a while. Several of them have spoken out recently at school board meetings. Jack Posobiec's wife grew up in the Eastern bloc and has warned a number of times that we're replaying history. Thomas Sibick was just released from pretrial incarceration. He's accused of violence and theft against a Capitol Police officer on January 6. I've seen the body cam footage. It's pretty compelling. He looks guilty. He was released on bail, while so many others from the same day were not. He was released after sending a letter to the judge denouncing and vilifying Trump and supporting unity and build back better. Before we dive in, a word from our sponsors. Who are we kidding? We don't have sponsors. We have a shop and an elf. Do you want to show your support for Brandon while simultaneously celebrating the Christmas season? Do you want to wear the wisdom of the End of the Fray podcast and remind your friends not to do anything stupid? Then get on over to IntoTheFrayShop.com. You can support the show and get yourself some great merch. The qualifier great is subjective and not legally binding. Style subject to change. Please do not void where prohibited unless you're in San Francisco or your last name is Biden. All right, so ABC 13 Norfolk, Virginia. Judge releases Capitol Riot defendant over toxic conditions in D.C. jail. No. Judge releases Capitol Riot defendant, Thomas Sibick, after he writes a letter denouncing and vilifying Trump and paying homage to Biden. And when they say toxic, they don't mean the living conditions were inhumane, although that is how they've been described. No, they mean the other political prisoners 
were likely to contribute to his further radicalization if he was kept in pretrial detention. Remember, the FBI stated there was no meaningful coordination involved in January 6th. I would add, at least on the side of the Trump supporters. Trump didn't plan anything. He didn't incite anything. I watched the speech live. He did nothing to incite violence. Or even mild unrest. Quite the opposite. He specifically called for a peaceful demonstration. From Reuters. Exclusive. FBI finds scant evidence U.S. Capitol attack was coordinated. Yahoo News. The FBI has found no evidence that Trump was directly involved in organizing Capitol riot violence. It also found little evidence of an organized plot to overturn the election results. 90 to 95% of these are one-off cases, said one former official. Now, there appear to be legitimate charges against all of the January 6 prisoners I've been able to look up. Note that I haven't been able to look them all up yet. I'm not suggesting there's no place for criminal proceedings. The problem is that this does not appear to be the justice system that's on the books. When treatment during pre-trial incarceration can be described as vindictive and subversive, we've got some real problems. So let's establish what's going on inside the D.C. jail. On October 14th, Brian Cates reported, Yesterday, a federal judge found the director of the Department of Corrections for the District of Columbia, Quincy Booth, and the warden of the D.C. jail, Wanda Patton, in contempt of court for not handing over required documents related to the medical treatment of a January 6th prisoner with a broken wrist who has cancer. This might sound strange to you at first, that the D.C. jail officials blithely ignored a direct court order from a federal judge, until you remember that these are the exact same jail officials that three months ago refused to let members of Congress into the D.C. jail to see the J6 defendants. Not only did jail warden Wanda Patton not let Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, Paul Gosar, and Louis Gohmert see the prisoners, after leading the congressional delegation outside under false pretenses, once they knew why the elected representatives were there, jail officials locked the doors and then accused these members of Congress of trespassing. So it's not exactly that big of a stretch to learn these self-same D.C. jail officials decided to ignore a court order from federal district judge Royce D. Lamberth until he forced them to come to court on Wednesday and explain why they hadn't complied. Julie Kelly reported, Worrell's hand was broken in May. Orthopedic surgeon recommended in June that Worrell needed surgery. Lamberth says he thought Worrell and others should be moved from D.C. jail for lack of care. Now, back to the article. Worrell's attorney, Alex Savron, notes to the judge that the wrist injury happened on May 21st. It was left untreated for more than a month until the orthopedic surgeon examined it in late June and then recommended surgery. Had the injury been treated in a timely manner, no surgery would have been necessary. Here's an SOS letter written by one of the political prisoners, Jeff McCallop in the D.C. jail. Now, I want to stress, there does appear to be evidence that this Jeff McCallop did what he's accused of doing. But again, look at what he says and compare that to the standard that we're supposed to hold for the humane treatment of prisoners. Especially pre-trial prisoners. Remember, innocent until proven guilty. Here's this letter. Not sure if you've got the full news of the psychological chess game we're playing in here. My name is Jeff McCallop. I was 22 years in the Army, 10 years in Special Forces, ODP 394 and 395. When or upon retirement, I became a contractor for the government. I've spent almost 30 years supporting and working for our government. 
Not one day have I ever been more disappointed and let down by our country than the current election process and the geriatric sleepwalking fool. Got that out. So, this is what we're experiencing at this time. Isolation. When meeting with anyone outside this facility, regardless of social distance, mask, hand sanitizer, and plastic barrier, I got 14 days lockdown each time. No contact with anyone in the cell block. Temp checked on once. Put in the furthest cell away from anyone. Allowed 20 minutes a day outside cell, no contact, back in. First four months, chained and shackled, brought down the hallway for medical, guards, dead man walking, he is B. Trump, he be Trump supporter, inciting violence from other inmates walking freely in the hallways. Inmates. And I'm not going to quote this part because there is a lot of really bad language in it. Uh, short version, not nice, lots of death threats. Guards laughing. List is endless with the step up for failures this station has to offer us. Names. Alexander, Hayes, Pinky, Armstrong, etc. These people would transfer inmates to other areas of the facility and snap check their cells for legal paperwork. I received a huge packet of legal paperwork. Names. Places. Photos. My entire history. My children's history. Neighbors. On and on. I was pulled from my cell at 10pm to see medical. Of course, no one was there. I was seriously worried I was about to get beat or killed. I waited for 30 minutes. No one showed. Escorted back to cell. First thing I noticed, all my legal paperwork gone. Anytime you speak out, lockdown, no food. Snap inspections, good cop, bad cop. False paperwork. Guards fill out false complaint forms using N-word, supporting violence, supporting racial separation, unleashing guards upon us. Pulled out of cells for Q&A group. Third grade meeting where guards forget why they're yelling at us. Ranking officials randomly show and yank us out of the cells. Once again, racial, food, guards, living conditions, Q&A. Conditions of cells. Here we go. Human fecal matter smashed into the angle of beds. Smashed into the corners of the rooms. Black mold sprang from air vents. Black mold and rust in windows. Informed guards of the situation. They moved us around to other rooms. Still, I have to clean my own cell. My once white hand rag is brown. Water tastes of pure metal. I have a taste in my mouth as if I've been sucking on a penny all day. Food is cold, smashed, burned, not enough. One inmate left his bologna sandwich overnight on his desk. Had mold next day. Told guards. All inmates removed from cells for Q&A. Told if we don't like it, we can throw it out. And that's all you're gonna get. Dinner, almost five days a week. Bologna or PB&J for dinner. Three to four cookies. Wet chips. Maybe bologna. Pack of Kool-Aid two slices of white bread, etc. Schools get better meals. Meet with legal, or legal phone calls. Deliberately brought to meetings late so you only have 20 to 30 minutes instead of an hour to meet. Always blame it on facility secretary. Phone calls. Late or time expires. Back to this. Humana N.A. sprayed on walls, the smell of urine, floor tiles popping up, on and on. Guards working together against us. Put all inmates back into cells. Call other guards to sleep in our cell block, claiming overtime and sleep on the job. Walking down halls to medical or legal, I can hear guards talking about corruption, weapons, in the cell blocks. Referring to all political inmates as rednecks. Chain of command, selling phones or trying to extort food and money from inmates, etc. We had a flood one night, five times the diaphragms of the toilet. Guards came in with mason hand or a nightstick ready to beat us, yelling to lock it down. Every time a flood... We inmates come together to save our cell block from flooding. They can't believe we would do this. This list is endless, with little things that have negative impacts on us. 
but we pull together every time. This place is a page out of the Seer book, Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape. Tell your friends. Call my children. Tell everyone. This is a message in a bottle. Oh, every time we're told to lock down or step back into your cell, you're in for two to three days. I was in mine for a week, bathed in my sink. Good thing the military trained me for this. So we have flagrant maltreatment, refusal of life and limb medical care, congressional representatives are denied access, and jail officials are lying to the courts. Then, just after writing a letter to their judge, one of the pretrial prisoners is released on bail. An apparent privilege, previously denied to this prisoner and still denied to the others. Here's what Sibick wrote to Judge Amy Jackson, hat tip court listener. Your Honor, my name is Thomas Sibick, and in an attempt to provide an understanding of who I am, I felt compelled to write because my conduct on January 6th was unequivocally an aberration of the high moral standards I hold myself to. What happened at the United States Capitol that day does not provide an adequate representation of my character. Although I strive for excellence, I will be the first to admit I am not perfect. My life has been full of joyful times. However, there have been a fair share of growing pains, none more significant than what I'm currently experiencing. The shame, dishonor, and regret endured are without question the worst emotions ever experienced. I disagree with what occurred on that fateful day, especially the trauma suffered by Officer Michael Fanone. It is without question unconscionable. January 6th was a disgrace to our nation that left a scar Trump is ultimately responsible for. But we are strong and will heal from it. While many praise Trump, I loathe him. His words and his actions are nefarious, causing pain and harm to the world. He is not a leader and should be ostracized from any political future. What he honestly needs to do is go away. Throughout my incarceration, I have had ample time for self-reflection, which has enabled me to grow and become more cognizant of my being, ultimately having a profound impact on my core values. I have vowed to never attend another political protest in my life. That was my first and last. In addition, I will never allow myself to be consumed by the mob mentality. It is dangerous and undoubtedly out of character. I give irrefutable assurance to the court that if I am released, I will without hesitation abide by any and all conditions set forth. All I desire is peace, reconciliation, and unity. We must all work together to build back a better nation. Sincerely, Thomas Civic. Here's something from George Orwell. Back to 1984. Power is in tearing human minds to pieces and putting them together again in new shapes of your own choosing. Did they torture him 1984 style to get him to comply, to believe 2 plus 2 equals 5 and to denounce Trump? Probably not. They stuck him in a hole for the better part of a year with no hope, and his attorney probably suggested that this was the best, possibly his only way out. Back to ABC 13 Norfolk. Civic was indicted in April along with two co-defendants, Albuquerque Cosper Head and Kyle Young, on multiple felony counts in connection with the brutal assault on D.C. police officer Michael Fanone during the Capitol riot. While other rioters were beating and tasing Fanone, causing him to suffer a concussion and a heart attack, Civic is accused of robbing him of his badge and radio. Civic then returned home with the badge to New York and buried it in his backyard. The alleged theft of the badge and radio were caught on the officer's body cam. There's also a photo of him holding a Capitol Police riot shield that day. This guy isn't exactly innocent. He needs to be held accountable for his crimes. The real crimes. The violence and the theft. Not the political dissent. 
What concerns me is the system's ability to coerce propaganda at this level. The letter reads like a statement we heard out of Soviet political prisoners. He denounces the political figure he was accused of supporting and pays homage to the political figure now in power. And then he is rewarded for... Complying? I guess? Something I'd like to know is, were those last two sentences pandering, or were they prescribed to him? Unity and build back better? That's no coincidence. Neither is it a coincidence that the terms of his release are not violence counseling or isolation from conspiratorial association, but isolation from political ideas. I'm not going to order that he not watch Fox News. I'm going to order that you turn off the talk shows, period. No MSNBC either, Judge Jackson said. This is reminiscent of other abuses of power we've seen recently, where a condition of one defendant's probation was getting the COVID jab. And in another case, the divorce court's condition of seeing their children was getting the COVID jab. Comply. That's the name of this game. Comply to our will, our ideology, our worldview. Do as we say, or you get prison instead of probation. You can't see your children again. We'll refuse you bail. Comply, or we'll make you comply. What's the purpose of taking someone's legal defense documents, of isolating them for weeks at a time? Why the phony complaints? To show that they can, and that there's nothing you can do about it. We have power, and there's nothing you can do about it. What happened to the person who said that 2 plus 2 equals whatever you say it does? Who said, yes, there are five lights. He was let out. He got to go home. Comply, and you'll be rewarded. Refuse to comply, and you'll be punished. That's where we're at here. Lest you think this evil is only perpetrated against people in prison who you don't have to care about or worry about because they must have done something to deserve it, it's happening to everyday Americans, too. Comply or lose your job. That's a pretty compelling one. Biden is leveraging taxpayer money against corporations that do business with the federal government. The threat alone was enough to get all too willing corporate collaborators to enforce it. If you want to provide for your family, you must get this experimental gene therapy while we suppress information on the prevalence and severity of its adverse effects. Comply or be removed from social media. People are banned from Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube for dissenting with the left's ideology. Pronounce the heresy that there are only two genders. Banned. Share research studies and even the words of the CDC that cast a concerning light on the jab. Banned. Suggest that there may be something to all the success seen using ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine to treat COVID. Banned. Comply or be forcibly isolated from the greater society. But it's so easy to comply. It really is such a minor inconvenience to acquiesce to all these small things. A quick poke, refrain from expressing a few verboten opinions. It's not so much to give. But to what end? Here's a clip from one of Jordan Peterson's university lectures. He breaks down the relationship between tyranny and lying, and why lying is essential to sustain tyranny. One of the things you find is that if you are arrested by the by the KGB, by the secret police in, in the Soviet Union, and you were hauled off to a, to a, to a, a like a tribunal, a, a ju a, before a judge, they wanted you to admit that you were guilty. You had to, like they torture you until you confessed. Or you could just confess. 
And that I always found that so mysterious. It's like they kick down your door. They know perfectly well that they haven't got any more on you than they've got on anyone else. And yet, you have to go through the damn trial and you have to admit that they're right. It's like, why do, why do they even bother with that? Why don't they just throw your sorry ass into the camp, which is essentially what's going to happen anyways. Why do they need your collaboration? You know, I've never quite figured that out. I think it's partly because they're not willing to let you stand in opposition to the rules. Because the mere fact that you'll do that means that you exist as something that is allowed to exist outside the rules. And they're not having any of that. And that's supposed to be a perfect state. And that's already been delivered to you. And so what that means is that insofar as you're a true believer, your own suffering becomes heretical. Because to the degree that you're suffering, you're living proof of the fact that the system is not delivering what it promised to deliver. And so you have to suppress that. You have to become your own tyrant. You can't admit that anything's gone wrong. And of course, you can't talk about it to your family because one out of three of them are government informers, just like one out of three of everyone. And you're certainly not going to mention it in the workplace because unless you're a devout Communist Party member, you're not going anywhere. And if any of your ancestors were like landowners or, or bourgeoisie, it's like, you're done. You're done. Class guilt, man. You're not going anywhere. And then every single level of the bureaucracy is exactly the same as that. And on the top, there's a tyrant. But the tyrant is everywhere, everywhere, from the peak to the soul. It's all tyranny. And everyone participates in that by lying. I was watching Louis C.K. the other night. And he was talking about children lying. He was talking about his nine-year-old daughter lying. And he said, well, it's no, it's no wonder your children lie. And it's no wonder it's impossible for you to stop them, because, you know, you're talking to someone whose his head would scrape the roof, they weigh like three times as much as you, and they're capable of force, and they're intimidating. And they say to you something like, did you, did you take that last cookie after I told you not to? And you're thinking, oh no, I took the cookie. What am I going to do? And then you, you, you get a genius idea in your head, which children, Smarter children learn to lie earlier. Children with high IQs learn to lie younger. And, and CK says, well, it's like you've just been handed a magic get-out-of-jail-free card. You can just say, no, I didn't take that cookie. And worse than that, it works in every single situation if you get away with it. So let's put some of these pieces together. In a tyrannical state, they want your compliance. They cannot abide dissent because it shows that it's possible to disobey them. They know that your compliance is contrived, that it's a lie. But that's just it. They want the lie. You have succumbed to the power of the state. Gullible people will believe the lie, and those smart enough to see through it will recognize the power of the state to force you to lie. One way or another, they get the compliance they demand. Here's a scene from the movie 1984. The question... How does one man assert power over another? By making him suffer. Exactly. Obedience is not enough. Power is inflicting pain and humiliation, otherwise you cannot be sure. Power is tearing human minds apart and putting them together again in new shapes of your own choosing. Power is not a means, it is an end. In our world, there will only be triumph and self-abasement. 
Everything else we shall destroy. The past is forbidden. Why? Because when we can cut man from his own past, then we can cut him from his family, his children, other men. There is no loyalty except loyalty to the party. There is no love except love of big brother. All competing pleasures we will destroy. This is nothing new. It's been the standard of every tyrannical regime in recorded history. We have libraries worth of these stories from Nazi Germany, Soviet Russia, Communist China, North Korea, Fascist Italy. The lie we tell ourselves is that it's not happening here. While immigrants from the Soviet bloc and pre-Mao China beg us to listen to their warning, that it is happening here. The antidote is the child who shouts that the emperor has no clothes. And the people assenting. The antidote is to stop lying, to call a spade a spade, and to reject not only the lies, but those prescribing them. These are the early stages of the process. If left unchecked, society and government transition into a state with sufficient power that they cannot be successfully challenged from within. Part of the lie is that this only exists in history books and conspiracy novels. But we're living it. Of course there's a degree of subtleness to it. If there was no plausible excuse or deniability or alternative explanation, the lie would be impossible to ignore. The goal is to get enough people to ignore what's happening or to excuse it away until enough power has been consolidated that it doesn't matter anymore. That is precisely what happened in Soviet Russia. You've heard the joke. They pretend to pay us. We pretend to work. The Russian people weren't under any delusion. They knew everything their government said and did was a lie but there was nothing they could do about it. I'm going to play my broken record again. A free state, a free state, a free states have to enforce their constitutional jurisdictions in order to protect their citizens and must work together to work together to mutually uphold the constitution, our rights, and the ideals that made America, made America, made America, made America a shining city on the hill. The BBC interviewed George Orwell toward the end of his life. He had completed 1984 and found himself bedridden from then on, I believe from TB. Orwell had a very good understanding of communist and authoritarian tactics and motives, and he saw what was possible, perhaps even likely, to come in the future. His assessment? The horrors he saw, possible, even likely, were not inevitable. Despite the dark, foreboding pessimism of his writing, he looked to the future and suggested hope. He suggested that we take the reins and create hope. This is from the BBC. You once claimed that you have an ability to face unpleasant facts. Is that what you've demonstrated in 1984 by drawing an accurate portrait of the future? I think that allowing for the book being, after all, a parody, something like 1984 could actually happen. This is the direction the world is going in at the present time. Always there will be the intoxication of power. Always, at every moment, there will be the thrill of victory, the sensation of trampling on an enemy who is helpless. The moral to be drawn from this dangerous nightmare situation is a simple one. Don't let it happen. It depends on you. 
The American Revolution succeeded in producing freedom, where, to my knowledge, all other revolutions have failed in this regard, because it was conducted by the cooperation and collaboration of established governing bodies. The colonial legislatures transitioned seamlessly into state legislatures. Order remained throughout the process. Disorder and chaos lead to suffering and desperation, which, as in all other revolutions, inevitably invites consolidation of power in a tyrant who promises to bring order and stability. The states are already organized to maintain order and stability, internally, and to protect their citizens, while we work to re-establish the Constitution as the supreme law of the land, and to enforce the boundaries and limitations it imposes on the federal government. Think of the Union as a castle. For a long time now, the left has been draining the moat, digging out the foundations, and bombarding the walls. It is their revolution we're in, not ours. It is they who seek the overthrow of the established order, not us. To this point, we have neglected our defenses, but there are inner keeps within the castle that we can retreat to and defend from, while we work to repair the damage done to the moat, the outer foundations, and the walls. I see no reason why this work can't be done peacefully, adhering to the principles of the Constitution in order to re-establish it. Or, if there is violence, I see no reason why it should be the free people who incite it. If the federal government is so determined to rend the Constitution, to trample and destroy it, we can give it place and uphold it more locally, until we're able to restore it to its right and proper place. Don't underestimate the power of public sentiment. If we're all loud enough, the governments in the free states will hear us. Some are beginning to already. Till next time, be informed, stay safe, don't do anything stupid. Thank you.